Well, no, it's not a particularly uplifting title. But that's kind of where I was the morning that uh, Jim called me and asked me if I could be here this morning. Not with all of these feelings, but why would I be so low? Why would I be... Well, right when he called, Alice and I were sitting in the car in the dentist's parking lot. No, I didn't have to go in. She had just come out. She'd gone in for a root canal. And two hours later, the dentist was out of time and she was out of patience. And they said, well, come back tomorrow and we'll finish it up tomorrow. So neither one of us were really feeling too wonderful about that. Also, that same day was the day of the uh, Dallas policeman's uh, massacre or shooting and ambush, whatever you want to call it, on a day of kind of national unrest. And anytime you look at the political scene these days, it's not very uplifting. It's just where God has us right now. So we have to deal with it. So we're going to uh, take a look at some of that. No, I'm not going to continue on my pity party. Uh, I think along with all of this, the one of the funnier things, because God definitely has a sense of humor, is I had just been working on a little personal study of the joy of our salvation or the joy in Christian life. And I'm going through all of these. Where is the joy? Oh, no, come on. We've got to find the joy in where we are in Christ, not what's going on around us. Music was wonderful this morning. I felt like I really don't need to get up and preach, man. They just preached it from the from the music. That's where we need to be, in Christ, all the way. So let's take a look and see what what God wants to do with, with all of these feelings, emotions that are, they're very real. They're with us all the time. And, well, let's try to deal with them one, one by one. Uh, the first one was despair. Okay. Now, you got a little blank there. Despair becomes hope. Sorry, there's not a bunch of stuff to fill in this morning. Just couldn't get that all together and get it to her in time. But anyway, there are two times of great despair in the lives of God's people that I can think of in the uh, Bible. One of them is in the Old Testament and the other one is in the New Testament. And we're going to take a look at both of them and see what was going on. The first one is in Exodus 14. Now, this was uh, just before the children of Israel were going to cross the Red Sea. Now remember I said just before they were ready to cross the sea. They had already gone through all of the plagues and the Passover and Pharaoh saying, get out of here, I don't want you anymore. And all the folks around them giving them everything they asked for to bid them farewell and take all of the jewels I have, we don't want you around anymore. And they take off and, well, listen to where they are. Chapter 14, verse 10. 
As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? That was their attitude. Why? They're they're on their way out. But you see, the position they're in right now is they're looking out at the Red Sea. They didn't bring the canoes with them. Not even inner tubes. And Pharaoh has changed his mind. I, I don't want him going free after all. So he gets the army out and he takes off after them and he's going to bring them back dead or alive. Well... You heard some of that. They became very frightened. Hmm. Yeah, that's a position where you become very frightened, isn't it? Everything has changed. Life has just fallen down around you. And you can't possibly see any way out of this mess. So what did they do? Well, they cried out to the Lord. Now that's a good response when you're in one of those bad positions to cry out to the Lord, but they didn't stop there. They cried out to the Lord and then they yelled at Moses. Now, I know you've never been there and you've never tried to blame someone else for all of the misery you're going through, but they deserve it anyway. They need to hear about it. Somebody's causing my pain, Moses, and you and you're going to hear about it. Shut up and see the salvation of the... Oh, that wasn't exactly the way God phrased it in there, was it? But, you know, basically, that's what Moses ends up saying to them. Just stand still. Stop talking and see the salvation of God. They had lost their faith in the Deliverer, the one who had delivered them through all of these things in the past, who had given them the promises that they would be delivered out of slavery. They lost focus on those things, the definite promises that God had already given them. They had passed through, and he had been true on every one of them. But they were in a tough spot. Remember, no boats, no no floaties, no anything. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Can't swim it, Lord. Okay. Moses, just lay your rod out across there. And what happens? They walk across on dry land. Let's take a look at just a little bit more here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Oh, the Red Sea's out there. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I am hardened, 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I am honored through Pharaoh, though his chariots, through his chariots and horsemen, the angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went out behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Hey, the clouds down, stand there behind, Pharaoh can't even see where they are. Moses just says, lay out the staff and they can walk through on dry ground. Then, as they walk through, Pharaoh sees the path. Let's go after him and get him. What's the end of the story? There for Pharaoh and his army in the depths of the Red Sea. <sighs> read some archaeological reports lately that they've actually found some of those things down there. Oh, but it's a myth, isn't it? No, it's the workings of the Almighty God that delivered his people. He promised he would deliver them, and he delivered them that day. Hope out of despair. I said there was another spot, so let's go to the New Testament. I'll get wrapped up here and go way too long. I might even go as long as Bill goes sometimes. Uh, Acts chapter 27. That's the other scene of great despair. Maybe you remember Paul's shipwreck experience. Got all these little markers in here and I still can't find the place. Pages always stick together in this Bible, but here, here we are. Acts 27 and verse 17. After they had hoisted it up, now remember they're on board a ship, sailing in wonderfully calm seas until just the day or two or three or four before this, when everything broke loose. They used supporting cables in undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground in the shallows of Citrus, they let down the sea anchor, and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as they were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us. From then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. All hope, gone. There's no way we're going to get out of this alive. But you see, Paul was being sent on a mission. It was God's dealing. And even though all hope was gone and they were at the point of, of helpless and hopelessness, God was still in control. Have you ever been in that, that position in your life? When everything seems to be running out of control and, and nothing's happening right, but you still, God, I'm following the way you, you gave me. Huh. Verse 21. Take a look at it. When they had gone a long, 
a long time without food. Then Paul stood up to have followed. Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Hmm. You see, they had been warned that there was danger ahead. Being good sailors, they really knew it wasn't the time of year. They should have been sailing. But it looked good. We got a favorable wind. Let's go. And then everything broke loose. They were so desperate that they threw everything overboard. Everything they could possibly part with. Cables to try to hold the ship together. Their greatest fear was at this point they were going to run aground. Because in those little sailing vessels they were using in those days, you run aground, it breaks up, and you're at the mercy of the sea. So being knowledgeable sailors, they knew they didn't want that to happen. We can't survive if this thing runs aground. Huh. Verse 23 to 25. God has promised... 23 to 25. For this very night, an angel of the Lord, of God came to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. The very thing they were fearing the most is what God's saying is going to happen. It's going to be your salvation. When you come to the point of absolute no hope, and this ship runs aground, and it does break up, a lot of those sailors could say, and passengers, I can't swim. What's going to happen to me? Well, if you follow the story on through, you find out that, yeah, it did run aground. And yes, it did break up. And those that could swim had to swim for shore. And those who didn't, well, God just kind of hit him in the head with a plank so they could grab hold and float on into the beach. It's amazing the provisions God can make for us at times. When all hope is lost, that plank comes along. And if you don't grab it, you're going down. But you grab it and follow it right on in. Hope. God's plans seldom seem to make sense to us. Especially when we're in despair. It's it's really very easy to lose sight of God's plan in our life. (coughs) One more scripture to read. Hebrews, chapter 10. I guess you'd say this ends up being an admonishment to each one of us. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, that's a little word saying, we each one have a responsibility, not to just ourselves, but to each other. When a brother is down and you know about it, or a sister is hurting and you know about it, then you're admonished to go and encourage them and help them through in love. Always speaking to each other in love. You know, without the body of Christ, without fellowships like this, we would be out there floundering alone without even the plank in the head. But when we have each other to direct us back to the source of power and faithfulness, then we have what is needed for a consistent, going forward, hopeful life in Christ. I think we sang this morning, my hope is built on nothing less. I love it. Nothing less. There's nothing more either than God's promises. Instead of despair, God has given us eternal hope. And I really hope, if you're listening this morning and you don't have that eternal hope, you'll realize it only comes through Christ. It doesn't come through any other imagination, it comes through Christ. We'll leave that one for just a minute. And we'll move from hope to depression. Yeah. Maybe you're one who suffers from depression. Let me read a little bit that I'm sure will not clear you up or cheer you up or anything else. Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes 4. In Ecclesiastes 4, the teacher is telling us, when I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun, under the sun and behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of their oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who were already dead more than the living who were still living, but better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that is done under the sun. Now isn't that an uplifting scripture? But there's a phrase in there that is key. It's what's done under the sun. This is what's done in our everyday life when our focus is on nothing but me and mine and how much I'm hurting and nobody cares about me and all of those selfish thoughts. That's life under the sun. That's life here on earth without any hope. But there is another life. That's not life with 
the Son of God. Life with the Son of God gives us hope, but it also gives us joy. So depression is changed to joy. That Remember when I started, I said I'd been doing a little study on joy? And that one just hit me between the eyes so often. You see, joy is not just being upbeat and positive. Uh, there's a certain person in my life than I, that we have these kinds of discussions. And my point is always, you got to think positively. And wait a minute. Positive thinking is not where it's at. Negative thinking is not where it's at. The reality thinking of joy in Christ is what really where it's at. Working through that depression of understanding God is really still in control. Life under the sun is dreadful and dreary sometimes, but life with the Son of God can be joyful if we are abiding in Christ. That's another one we should look at. John 15. Over in John 15. In verse 11, and as we start in with verse 11, you got to understand that uh, Jesus has just been teaching his disciples and telling them about abiding in Christ. That's, that's the vein of his th- thinking. It wasn't positive thinking. It was abiding in Christ. Verse 11. And these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Wait a minute. Abiding in Christ has something to do with joy in my life? Staying personally connected on a day-in, day-out basis can help me have joy in my everyday life under the sun? Why? He's in charge. He's over it all. Yeah, there's going to be tough times, and I'm not going to like them. Your joy, that your joy may be full. You see, not just a little bit of joy, but in this reading, God promises in Christ full joy, that your joy may be full by abiding in Christ. Well, I think I stopped about one, one or two verses too soon, so we'll just keep on. This is my commandment, that you love one another, so as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all the things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You see, abiding in Christ is knowing Him and the Father. Knowing that the control is there, not here. Man, I can take control of the situation and mess it up better than anyone. Some of us who have 
been placed in responsible leaders of, of leadership know just how good we are at that. God, I need you. I might be pushing 80, but I still need you in my everyday life. Abiding in Christ. Little idea down there too. God's given us that responsibility. It's kind of repeated here. To show love to one another. You see, we're not in this alone. We're in it together. And we have a responsibility. Not just to kick him in the seat of the pants and say, ah, shape up and get going but to show love and compassion. And I have a lot of trouble with that sometimes. Amen. (laughs) Oh, after almost 59 years, she knows very well. Joy is not a light, happy mood, but enduring state of thankfulness. Joy is an enduring state of thankfulness. Thankfulness for what God is. Not for what is missing in my life or what I have accomplished or any of those other things. It's for what God is. Here's a little thing I ran into and I did some adjusting on it as I went down. What is real joy? Joy is the peace that passes understanding. Joy is the crowd of witnesses that is cheering wildly for you. That's out of Hebrews chapter 12. Joy is the knowledge that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Joy is walking on water for just a few steps. Ask Peter about that. Joy is turning water into wine. You ought to talk to the wedding planner of that wedding down in Galilee about that. Joy is feeding thousands with a generous boy's sack lunch. Joy is angels on a hillside overlooking Bethlehem on a starry night. Joy is children sitting on the knee of Jesus. Joy is faith the size of a mustard seed. Joy is a baby when you're 90 years old. Ask Sarah about that one. I mean, we're not 90 and our little great-grandchildren are coming along and I haven't seen so much joy in my wife's face as when those little ones were around here the other day. Three of them, all under a year old. Joy is a stream in the desert and a way in the wilderness. But mostly, joy is his miraculous, loving presence in our ordinary lives. Also, joy is confident that that God knows what he's doing, even today, before and after the elections. Do you have that joy? The joy of knowing Christ that full joy that he has given us because he's invited us to abide 
with Him and to have that full joy. Yeah, there's joy even when you're living in a war zone. Which could take us on to the next one because that one is called defeat replaced with peace. Have you ever felt defeated before the fight really begins? It's just you going in there. There's no way I'm going to get through this one, Lord. It is a mess. What is peace? You see, peace is confidence that I don't have to get through this. God's in charge. That's the peace. Peace is no longer living at odds with your Creator, but it's living in peace with Him. Living at peace with the One who has given up more than you can imagine, His only Son, that we might have eternal peace with God. There was a time in Israel... When looking at the circumstances, would have scared you to death. We're going to take a look over in Second Chronicles. Okay, so you don't read Second Chronicles real often, but this this one just Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Jehoshaphat is uh, king. And it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Minuites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazron, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid. We can stop there and just realize, hey, he's got a lot to be afraid of. He's king of a little small nation of Judah, and he's got all of these guys coming his way saying, we're going to stomp you into the ground. There's no way you're going to get out of this. The circumstances led to nothing but an impossibility. There was no way Jehoshaphat could man a big enough army to overcome all of those that were ready to invade him. So what did he do? He was frightened, rightfully so. Well, let's look just a little bit more. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. He called one great big prayer meeting. Hey guys, we're in a hard place. We have no way out of this. Well, we have only one way out of this. So they came together for one long prayer meeting. And if you read on down through there, which we'll not take time to do, no, we won't, uh, you see that they did come together and, and pray. But you skip on down to, to verse 15. 
And he said, listen all Judah. This is a one of the ones praying there with them. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem the and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh. You don't have to fight this battle. It's God's battle. He's going to take care of it. Sometimes I can't keep my place. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Aziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not to fight this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. They're being told, let's just take a little walk with Jesus. Just walk on out there. There's the, there's the enemy. Just walk out and face him. This isn't your battle. You're not going to have to fight. I love those kinds of battles. I hate conflict. But they were given a responsibility here. They prayed. They marched out. The wonderful thing is there's a reason for them marching out, and we'll hit that in just a minute or two. Uh, the battle's not yours, but, and you come on down to verse 21. When they had consulted with the people, am I in the right place? Yes. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and to those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Now, Maybe it doesn't make sense to you, marching out against an army you have no chance of beating, to tell the ones who are marching along, who are good singers and worshipers, to just turn up the volume and sing to the top of your lungs. Because we're praising the one who's going to see us through. Verse 22. This one is so easy, I passed over it. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. That was verse 21. When they began singing and praising, notice that when in there. When, oh, they've given him a responsibility to sing and praise. So they began singing and praising. Then, The Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Zir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. They were routed. We don't need to read about the massacre that happened, because they all turned on each other and ended up killing each other. And Judah stood and watched it all happen. Well, why'd they need to come down if God was going to do that? Verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. It took them three days to clean up the battlefield of the valuable stuff. 
That's why God had them there. He was going to enrich them through this experience. He wasn't going to see them stomped into the ground. They were going to be enriched. How many tough times have you passed through in which once you came out the other side, oh, God had some real blessings in coming through this one. Been through one or two of them together, haven't we? Don't always understand them. But someplace longer, you come out richer and fuller and with a greater peace that passes understanding. You see, they had peace, natural peace from war, but they also had a peace of knowing God fights our battles for us and then rewards us for his victory. There's peace in worship. That's what they were doing. Is they were walking along and worshiping God together. I can't hang on, God, but you, you are going to have to. So we'll worship you as we walk along together. Brothers and sisters, that's what we have to do together. That's what we did the first part this morning. Worshiping and singing together. Acknowledging that the peace, the joy, and the prosperity that we have is not because of ourselves or not because of the wonderful position that we have attained to. But it's because of the kindness, the love, and the mercy of God that we come along and do that. Some people don't realize that on a daily basis. Romans 8, last reading, I believe. If I can get back there, yeah, Romans 8, verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... Which one of those can really separate you from the love of Christ? Just as it's written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a pretty final statement. When I lack peace, when I lack joy, when I lack hope, This is where God wants me to turn. These are the ideas, the thoughts that we need to share with each other when you see them down. This is the hope. This is the peace. And this is where the joy is. Joy of abiding in Christ. The one who has accomplished all that could be hoped for for us. 
You want more peace in your life? I'll give you a little formula. We already did a little bit of it this morning. Find your favorite praise and worship music. I don't care whether it's oldies or whether it's some of the newest, loudest stuff in the world. If it's what you want to hear and what you can praise God through, turn up the volume and sing along with it. Because once you start singing with those thoughts and worship and praise of God, all those other troubles start melting away. And you start focusing on the one who really controls my life. You don't like to sing aloud? Okay, open your Bible to the Psalms and start reading that out loud. There's more hope and joy in the Psalms than you'll find any place. And I don't care what translation you use either. Just read them and then rejoice in the Lord. Still feeling low? Pray for somebody else who's in worse condition than you are. Who really needs help. Who's hurting and is down. Pray for them. Along with that, you can visit someone who's in need or homebound. Cheer them up? No. I don't know how many times I've heard and witnessed someone goes to cheer up a homebound brother or sister and they come away with the greatest joy in their life because of what they see in the one who is not able to get out but hasn't forgotten the one who has delivered them through all of the trials of life. He is worthy of our worship. He will always be worthy of our worship for all eternity. Nearness to God builds hope, joy, and peace. Abiding in Christ builds all of those things. Feelings of despair, depression, and defeat. How are they overcome? With confidence in the creator of the whole universe and the one who has given the greatest gift of all, his only beloved son, for our peace, for our joy, for our eternal prosperity, and for our eternal hope. Who can you encourage today? There's a verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Nah, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. Not in how good you have it, but in how wonderful He is. The wonderful, loving Savior who has brought us together to encourage one another, to be encouraged, and show the love that only He has put in our hearts because of the wonders of His work and the mercies of His greatness. Father, thank You that in all of Your love You have given us so much. 
You've given us the love of Christ. Help us to share it with those around. You've given us an eternal hope that so many around don't know about. And the peace that passes understanding. I don't understand it. But you have given it freely through Christ. Help us to share. Help us to rejoice and encourage one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.